Thank you, Lord, for this time, and thank you for uh, fellowship, and uh, thank you for people that love each other. What a blessing. And uh, Lord, just help us uh, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, the Bible says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Actually, turn to Isaiah 56. Put your finger there or a place there. Then I think this is appropriate for today. I want you to just see something in Psalm 139. Go, go there. So your finger in Isaiah 56. Go to Psalm 139. What should be my response to all the drama in society today? What should be our response to all the drama uh, in society today? Well, here's what I was hoping that uh, we could all uh, think about. Look at verse 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's a dangerous prayer, folks. Try me and know my anxieties. Again, more danger. (laughs) In the best of ways. And see, this is the one that gets me. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I know we like to point fingers and have opinions. There's nothing wrong with having opinions. But boy, should we be looking at inward first. Go over to uh, first, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 16. Or 3.16, sorry, 3.16. Go to 2 Timothy 3.16. You, you, you all know this scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it profits us. It's profitable for doctrine. We learn right thinking and right, uh, right theology. But do we ever consider number two? I don't know about you, but (laughs) as I look at the Christian world on social media, (laughs) it's really, to me, sickening. Uh, I I saw two sisters online today called each other morons. They had two different opinions about masks. They called each other morons. It's sad, man. But look at this. The scripture says it it will reprove us. It will correct us. But we have to be willing to be reproved. We can just put our pride up. Just, you're not going to tell me what I can do or what I can't do. I mean, that's what social media is doing right now. You're not going to tell me. I have the right and for instruction in righteousness, and I don't know if you know this, but the, there's another scripture that talks about the peaceable fruit of righteousness, righteousness, not the drama on Facebook righteousness. So I wonder if we have the humility to actually do what the scripture says and not do what we feel like doing. See, that's the problem with Israel the whole time. They wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. You know the book of Judges. Do what was right in their own eyes. 
I'll, I'll follow you, Lord, forever. Get to the place where they're repentant and then they get farther away from the Lord. They do what was right in their own eyes. They fall again. They, they say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for that. And it just happened over and over again. That's what I feel like we're doing. I don't even know if we're saying we're sorry. <laughs> so Isaiah 56 through 66 has amazing scriptures. And when I uh, that can help us. And I wonder if we would give the Lord permission. Isn't that a weird way of saying it? Would we humble ourselves in the best and right way to actually not just read over these scriptures and learn them, but actually, if it speaks to you, would you let it reprove you? Would it let you train you in righteousness, not just righteousness, but to peaceable fruit? I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. You certainly can have an opinion. But the way in which we go about it, it's awful. So let's look what the Bible has for us. I think you're going to find some amazing stuff in here, uh, even for today, by the way. By the way, I mean, we're going to learn now. We're going to see. We're going to have a sneak preview of what we're going to be doing for eternity. And I can tell you one thing. I can tell you what we're not going to be doing we ain't going to argue about a stupid mask. We aren't even going to think about it. Now listen, I know we have opinions. I'm okay with that. We're okay with that. But when you see what's coming on the horizon, whew, it opens up your heart. So here we go. We're going to make a quick run. I'm just going to tell you what 56 I, I, did, I, you know, I said it was about Israel's sins, but it's a little bit more than that. Look at this. Chapter 56, you can read 1 through 8. It talks about salvation for the Gentiles. That's not such a big deal to you, but it was a big deal back then. God's program was uh, first uh, released to the Jews and then to the Gentiles later, and that's what that's about. Israel's sins come into focus in 9 through 12, and you know what's... Uh, awesome or sad or heavy <laughs> or I don't know what you want to call it. It was because of their leaders. Their leaders were irresponsible. You can look at it 9 through 12, Isaiah 56. How about this? In Isaiah 57, it talks about man-made religion that won't produce peace. You say, well, doesn't have anything to do with today. Oh, my goodness. It's still applicable today. And here, Israel chapter 57, uh, 1 uh, through 13, talks about idolatry in the church, in the, or excuse me, in the people of God. And you could read all of that. It's about idolatry and how sickening it is. And then you get to verse 14 of chapter 57. You, you, you ever been in a quote-unquote backslidden state? Well, what you would do is you would read Isaiah 57, verses 14 through 21. By the way, at the end there, he reminds us, he does it in several places, that there's no peace for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. Remember, in order to have the peace of God, Philippians 3, you must be at peace with God, Romans 5. Because you receive the peaceable fruit of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Oh my. 
Now you're at peace with the Lord and you receive his peace, but there's no place for the wicked, for those who are outside of God's program through Jesus Christ. Well, in 58, look at this. 1 through 14 is talking about what it is to worship in a hypocritical way. And he says he's going to actually trumpet it, scream it out loud, verse 1. Uh, And you go on, and then uh, in verse 6, he tells you what real fasting is like. In other words, real worship includes fasting. But, so so let me read it to you. Verse 6, is this not the fast I've chosen? To loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Uh, It's not to share your bread, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? Verse 7, when you see the naked that you cover him and do not hide from your own flesh. What should prayer and fasting and communion with God lead to? Putting off the physical and concentrating on the spiritual, your life should look like that. To undo heavy burdens. Folks, I don't know if you've looked around lately. There's a lot of people with heavy burdens. I mean, it's everywhere you turn. You don't have to look anywhere except for next door or whatever. It's everywhere people have heavy burdens. And then later in verse 13 here through the end, he talks about, uh, you know, the Sabbath. And we've talked about that on several occasions. True worship means you're resting in God. You're resting in him. That doesn't mean you're not doing anything, but your whole life is resting in him. We Sabbath all the time because we don't Sabbath in a day, although it is a good principle to take some time off. We Sabbath in a person. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you, say it, rest. We Sabbath in Jesus. So that's proper worship. It's not serving on a committee, although those might be appropriate at some times. It's not putting tons of money in the box. No, no. It's resting in Jesus. When we come in here and we sing songs, we praise the Lord, that's resting in him. It's pouring out our hearts to him. It's resting in him. Okay, verse, chapter 59. Look at the first verse. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it can't hear. The Lord always can save and always can hear, but your iniquities separate you from God. And that's still, still true today. He's talking to Israel there, but it's still true today. And look what iniquities birth. Look in verse uh, 4 at the end. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They even talk about cobwebs or webs. Verse 6, and then there's this beautiful push towards confessing sin in verse 9, all the way through verse 15. And then he talks about the Redeemer of Zion. The one who's going to redeem Zion. And look in verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression and Jacob. This is talking about the second coming, the judge of the nations. We've talked about that. We're going to talk about it more. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant. Remember, there's a new covenant. It's the covenant of grace. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. That's the program of the Lord. He's doing a new thing. Isn't that amazing? This was prophesied in the 700s B.C., folks. And he's talking about uh, 
our new program. Well, I think we need to stand up and do jumping jacks or something. Because here it comes. Look at this. Look in verse chapter 60. He actually says, wake up. That's what he says right here. Arise, get awake. And this is the major doctrine of Isaiah. It's that there's this new light or there's light that's coming on a dark world and the glory of the Lord is upon you. You see, in chapter 40, verse 5, it said that the glory is going to be revealed. And now in chapter 60 through 66, he's telling you what the glory is. This is the program of life, of all life. This is the roadmap of life. This is, I don't care if people out there or any of us don't believe it. This is what will happen. This is coming to pass. So arise, shine, for your light has come. Somebody should make this a song. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The glory of God is going to shine on the city of Jerusalem. In the millennial kingdom. For behold, verse 2, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. If you were here for Sunday or you listened or whatever, Peter tells us that's the program of life, that the gospel would shine into the dark areas of life and people would come to know him. The bright and morning star would come to fruition in people's hearts. That's what's happening now. Look at this. It's always going to happen. It's always been happening under God's plan. And in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus comes back, after seven years of tribulation, look, it's going to be the darkest period of, ever, of all time in history. Seven years of great tribulation, and he's going to come back. The gospel is going to unfold in the way that he says. Darkness shall cover the earth in that tribulation period. But here he comes in glory when he returns. And the Gentiles shall also come to your light. There's room for everybody. That's revelatory, you see, at the time that they're writing this, at the time Isaiah's writing this. That's, that's big news. By the way, can you imagine what they must have been saying? Gentiles, they aren't like us. We're the people of God. I'm just going to use it because I'm, 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 I'm faced with it now here every day, and so are you. Pushing masks. Always on me about a mask. Who are those people to tell me? Or, I ain't wearing a mask. What, do, what am I going to do? I'm not even want to be around people that want a mask. <laughs> That's kind of what this is on a way grander scale. They were the people of God. And now Isaiah says, Gentiles shall come to your light. They're going to come into the kingdom They'll be there. You imagine what they might have been saying? Kind of similar to today sometimes. Get your eyes up, verse 4 says, and see. And your sons are going to come from afar. That's talking about the regathering that we've talked about in so many times, that Jews are going to come back into their land. And there's going to be wealth. Look at this. The wealth of the Gentiles are going to come to them. They're going to ships. And caravans are going to bring wealth to Jerusalem. It speaks of it. And it says there in, at the end of verse 7, I'll glorify the house of my glory. 
You see that? In fact, in verse 9, it says he's going to bring the sons from afar. And then 10 through 14, the nations serve Israel. Now listen, there are a lot of different paradigms for end times eschatology. We here are premillennialists. We believe in the future kingdom or future program for Israel. And we believe that there's a rapture going to happen and then there's going to be seven years of tribulation and then Jesus is going to come back to the earth. But other people don't believe that, okay? You understand that? There's some people that are called amillennialists. They don't believe that... They say that the millennium is now, and I'm not making fun. That's just what they say. And then there's post-millennialists, and we're going to talk about that during the rapture, or excuse me, during the revelation study. During the rapture, yeah. (laughs) But let me ask you something. When has anybody in your lifetime ever seen other nations serve Israel? Never. And look what 10 through 14 says. You read it. It says that the nations are going to serve Israel and glorify Israel. Not in a weird way, but glorify the Lord in Israel. That's a better way of saying it. And in verses 15 through 18, it says Israel will be transformed. Now, of course, there was this exile thing that they were prophesying about. And, of course, in a near fulfillment, they were coming back to Israel. And yet, when have the other kingdoms ever served Israel? Never Never. It's going to happen, I think. Well, here's some more characteristics of the uh, kingdom that the Lord's going to establish. Verse 18, the violence shall no longer be heard in your land. You're going to, the walls of Jerusalem will be called, look, isn't this beautiful? Will be called salvation and your gates will be called praise. (laughs) No longer do they have to be defenses. Isn't that beautiful? They're going to be just surrounded by praise and salvation. And then in verses 19, look, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor uh, for brightness shall the moon give light to you. And we know as the millennial kingdom happens, right? We know that the millennial kingdom happens. That's going to be true. But then when the new heavens and the new earth come, that's after the millennial kingdom, there won't be any need for a sun. Or a moon, you know why? Because the, because the Lord's going to live with us, tabernacle among us forever, or we're going to tabernacle with him. And you know this, there's not going to be any sea. That means division. Some of you be sad maybe, but no, you won't be sad. But, but, but right? It's going to be different. And for the, look at down in verse 20. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. This is talking about the future. And you could read to the end of here, chapter 61. Look at this. Uh, There's salvation, though. This is amazing. This should stop you in your tracks. This should be very familiar. I'll read it to you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What if I read this and then skipped? to comfort all who mourn, to console. Wouldn't you say, well, why aren't you reading, and the day of vengeance is of ours, 
of, of our God? Why, why didn't you read that? Well, hold that thought for a minute. Control those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes. Don't you love beauty for ashes? That's our lives. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the ruins. Strangers, verse 5, shall stand and feed your fox, flocks, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Yes, we're part of a holy priesthood. They shall call you the servants of your God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, etc. How about this one, folks? Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Does that go with Peter or what? When you come into the, choral, uh, the chorus that's singing for your entrance into heaven? Oh, my. And instead of confusion, rejoice in portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Why, why am I t- reading all of that to you? Well, this should be very familiar to you. It's one of the most fascinating stories. You're going to go there when we go to Jerusalem. It's so awesome. Jesus in the synagogue that he grew up in one day was asked by the reader or the, the lectern of the, uh, uh, the synagogue, the person who was in charge of getting the speaker for the day, asked Jesus to come and speak. Asked him to read the scripture. And Jesus unrolled the scroll from Isaiah 61. And it's so fascinating. He reads it, and guess what he leaves out? He reads verse 1, verse uh, 2, except for he says, look in verse 2. He says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, but he leaves out, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus does. And then he rolls the scroll back up. He sits down. And he says, hey, folks, I know you know me. He didn't say this part. I know you watched my mom and dad change my diapers. And I know you knew you came over to dad's shop and we were building stuff. And I know you know me, but I want you to know something. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. In other words, I'm the Messiah, he says. And he left that part out. Why did he leave that part out? Because this refers both, this scripture in Isaiah 61, refers to both the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And at his second coming will be the day of vengeance. But at his first coming, it wasn't the day of vengeance. You get it? Write that down. Never forget it. Because Jesus is coming back and he's going to put all things right. It's such a beautiful story. And you keep going and you keep reading and it says in in God's kingdom, listen to this, look in verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful to my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he's covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. This is the ministry of the Messiah. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. See, folks, that's still the ministry. I want you to know this. You and I, we ain't going to heaven unless we have the right clothes on. We are not going. You must, we must have the robes of righteousness. We must uh, enter in. And when the Lord asks us why we should come in, Of course, I don't think it'll happen that way. But the reason is, is because we're counting on the finished work of Christ and we receive his righteousness. That's Romans 3. Man, I'm excited about that. I hope you are too, because that takes, look at this. That, that, there's not, I can't think of another freeing, more freeing doctrine in the entire Bible. 
Yes, we live a life of obedience. Yes, we want to live a holy life. But we are counting on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection, and we receive his righteousness. It's so precious. And here it's predicted all that way. And not only predicted, that's the way it's always been, you see. Well, assurance of Zion's salvation in chapter 62. There's a great future. The Lord promises salvation, right, uh, to his people. And you could keep reading uh, uh, all the way through here. The Lord promises salvation, but I want you to see something. In verse 2, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, right? You shall be called uh, by a new name, and uh, which m- the mouth of the Lord will name. Now look up above in verse 4, or look below. I'm sorry, mine's above because it, <laughs> anyway. So you're going to be called Hevesbah, however you say that. And your land, Beulah, and the, the, the names mean delight in her and married to her. That's going to be the name of the people. But listen, I wanted you to know something fantastic for you. That's the fulfillment for the people or Israel, but you're going to be fulfilled in this way. You're going to get a new name. Did you know that? Oh, I can't wait till you come to the book of uh, Revelation. Don't you think it's funny that Lord gives... Abraham, or excuse me, Abram, a new name, calls him Abraham. Don't you think it's funny that Jacob gets a new name? He's called Israel. How about Saul's turned to Paul, Simon to Peter? But how about this? In Revelation 2.17, folks, you think the Lord doesn't love you. To those that overcome and persevere and uh, uh, go into his kingdom, the Lord promises to give you a new name that no other man would know. You could read it, Revelation 2.17. You could go there. You're going to get a new name in heaven. I have a funny joke about that, but I better watch it. But you're going to get a new name. Isn't that cool? Just like, like the Lord's name for you. He, 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 he loves you so much. The Lord's name for you. You get it? Oh, man. So you see that. And you could keep uh, going uh, through here and, and see that the, uh, uh, there is a great future ahead. Well, how about this? Look in verse 10. Go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. And that was talking in the near fulfillment about the exiles coming back to Jerusalem, right? But also there's this great theme because previously it was prophesied about a great regathering And the Lord keeps bringing up to Isaiah that there's this highway back into the land in which a lot of this is going to take place. It's it's so cool. And indeed, verse 11, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. By the way, that's quoted in Revelation 22.12. You starting to see why we did Isaiah first? Revelation 22.12 quotes this, the end chapter of the Bible. And his work before him, and they shall call him the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called 
or you, you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Now, do, do me a favor and turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Look in verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. And then scoot down to verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. (laughs) There's going to be rewards in heaven. And that's cool. You're going to receive rewards, right? And uh, that's cool. And he's the one that does the rewarding. Well, you go on to 63. Uh, uh, Fascinating. Some believe this is where the campaign of Armageddon starts. So at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to come back. There's going to be a judging of the nations. You read that in Matthew. But also, he's going to, also he's going to um, uh, have this campaign, this Armageddon campaign. And I talked to you about this. Some people believe he doesn't actually uh, start in the Valley of Megiddo, which is more north in Galilee area. Or the, it's actually in the Valley of Jezreel, going up north, up above Tel Aviv, right? Going towards Galilee. Some people believe that he's actually going to start in Edom, in Basra, and I showed you, I think, on a map the other day, which is kind of like south and east of the Dead Sea. And look at this. They're going to be dyed garments from Basra. Other people believe Edom is just a name for a representation of the nations who are against Israel. I'm just giving you the couple views there. Got it? Did that make sense? And here he says, who is this that comes from Eden? Or Edom, Sorry which means red, you know that, nickname for Esau. Or, yeah, right. And he has these dyed garments, and this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And then he answers, the Lord responds to the question in verse 1. Look what he responds. I who speak in righteousness am I'm mighty to save. Wow, good job, worshipers. Good job. Not just mighty to judge, he's mighty to save. But then it says, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? Right? That was the picture of tramping out the grapes and the, the, the juice coming out like blood. Right? And he says, I've trodden the winepress alone. You could look right here at Revelation 19, 13 through 15. What he's going to do when he comes back. And from the peoples, no one was with me, for I've trodden them in my anger. The Lord has holy anger. And their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I've stained all my robes. Listen to this. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. Now, you know this because you read John on loop. You read it every month. Some of us do, right? And in John 5, verse 22... All judgment was committed to the Son by the Father. Do you remember that? Well, here it is. This is the ultimate judgment at the end of the age. This is it. And the year of my redeem, verse 4 continues, has come. 
See, he loves vindicating his redeemed. He's sad when the wicked don't choose him because there's an end that's just. But he's happy when he gets to vindicate his redeemed. Well, keep going. Verse 6, look at this. I've trodden down the people in my anger. Peoples made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Remember I keep telling you this is the back country of the Bible? If you'll go here, you'll be blessed beyond measure. If you just walk around where all the tourists are, okay, you're going to get a good glimpse of what things are, but, and it'll be fun and good, and you'll see some beautiful stuff. But if you'll go to the back country, you're going to experience things not many people experience, and this is part of it. See, in the American church, what we want to talk about all the time, I love talking about it, grace and mercy and love. We should. Oh, yes. Who doesn't love grace and mercy and love? But God's a God of anger and vengeance, too. And people need to know it. Well, keep going. God's mercy is remembered here in 7 through 14. What God has done for Israel, the uh, uh, people here, appeal to his loving kindness for mercy and deliverance. Of course, they've just heard about his vengeance. And so from 7 through 14 here, they appeal to God's mercy, excuse me. And then in verse 15, all the way through 6412, listen to me now, 6315 through 6412, there's a prayer here in the near fulfillment by the exiles who are asking for restoration. They ask for restoration here. And you could read that entire thing, but there's one thing I want you to see. Uh, I'm just going to point out real quick. Look at this. Who here loves Isaiah 40, verse 31? Who here loves Isaiah 40, verse 31? Well, I guarantee you, all of you do, and you know it almost by heart. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That's the exchange of our weakness for his power. And remember, waiting is not doing nothing. Sitting on the couch and eating bonbons. I like to say that. It's not sitting on the couch and eating bonbons. When you see in the Bible, wait upon the Lord, it's not that. It means to hope, to look to God for everything we need. It involves meditating on his character and his promises all through the day, all the time. That's how you wait upon the Lord. But I want you to see something here. Look in verse 4 of chapter 64. Look at this. What am I, just whistling in the wind, waiting upon the Lord? No, you're not whistling in the wind. Who acts for the one who waits for him? I wrote, wow. In other words, the Lord acts for those who wait upon him. He'll act on your behalf. I wonder if you believe it. I wonder if I believe it. Man, the Lord acts for the one who waits on him. Well, you could keep going on and refer here to the holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you in verse 11. It was burned up with fire, of course. The Babylonians did that. And then the part of the Bible is how that was restored, right? How Jerusalem was restored. We're going to study that when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah, aren't we? 
By the way, some people don't believe in this. We certainly believe in this. In the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a restored temple. And you can read about it in Ezekiel 40 through 48. And you're asking yourself, well, why would there need to be a temple? Well, you come to the Ezekiel study and you'll find out. And so you get to chapter 65. Man, I'm flying around here. Woo, this is great. This is amazing. You get to chapter 65, and now I want you to see something at the end of 64. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? And the answer comes in the next two chapters. The Lord responds. I was sought by those who didn't ask for me. I was found by those who didn't seek me. This is quoted again by Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. In other words, the Gentiles would find them. Remember, the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. That's a reference right here. But remember, this is 700 B.C. BC. This is miraculous. I've stretched out my hand all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, just like judges, like we talked about. Some respond, some of the exiles respond like that prayer of repentance that I didn't read to you. Some do, but some, look at this, with the opportunity to come back to the Lord, respond, I want you to catch this, in shallowness. They don't give their heart fully to the Lord. Are you catching that? So there's a penitent prayer from 63.15 through 64.12. And some of the exiles come back with a penitent heart or a repentant heart, but some of them don't. I've stretched out my hand all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. And that's what we do. That's what we're doing right now. It's sickening, just being honest. I got my own thoughts about things that are going on in the world. I'll express them and make sure everybody knows them. You, we walk in a way that's good to us, in my opinion, according to our own thoughts, verse 2, and a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. Did you ever think that the way in which you're responding to the things that are happening in the world make God mad? Hmm. Let that sit there for a minute. Well, these people were doing these sorts of things. They were falsely worshiping the Lord. Now, I, I, I'm just going to tell you something from the book of Matthew. You all know it. The Lord says, if you come in here, you walk up the steps, and it's brought to your mind that you have something against your brother or your sister. Just throw everything down and go make it right with them first. Otherwise, listen to this, you ain't worshiping right. Now go back and think about how you've treated somebody that thinks differently than you this week. Ooh, man, oh, man. Maybe they're in a different political party than you. 
Uh, maybe they don't think like you. Maybe they think like somebody else that you watch on TV and you don't like. And you've held bitterness in your heart toward them or even been angry at them or hated them in your heart. <laughs> well, God here says that the people who were coming back, even when they had the opportunity to come back, they did it in shallowness. And they didn't worship in the way in which he wanted us to. Well, in modern day language, this side of the cross, Matthew 5, go get it right. Worship in spirit and truth, of course, but go get it right. Man, we need to hear that. All of us. Well, these folks back then were even sitting among the graves. They were eating swine's flesh, verse 4, and the broth of abominable things were in their vessels. Oh, my. Who say... Keep to yourself. Don't come near me. Look at this. Can you believe this is in the Bible? For I'm holier than you. Now, hold on. You know what? I I don't know lots. But I know this from reading the Bible. God hates self-righteousness. He hates it. If you think you're holier than other people or holier than thou, watch it. So when you're talking down to people out of a heart of whatever it is, pride and arrogance, you better watch it, and so should I. I better watch it because the Lord hates it. Look at what the next verse says. When we act like that, there's smoke in his nostrils. A fire that burns all day. Behold, it's written before me. I will not keep silence, but will repay. You get it? The Lord says, hold on, exiles, and you here who want to exact vengeance on your friends, will you just leave it to me? I'll take care of it. They asked, what are you going to do? Why don't you do something? He said, I'll take care of it. That's what he said right here. You don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. We know from the Bible, it says, vengeance is mine. Even repay oh, your iniquities and the iniquities of your father together, it says, who, uh, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. So, 8 through 16 here now is a promise of blessing for those who are laying their lives down to the, for the Lord. And there's a promise of hardships for shallow servants. That's what 8 through 16 is all about. And now we live in the era of grace. It's not... Do good and you get good. But when you follow God's principles, healthy things happen spiritually. Get it? It's always a principle of God. We reap what we sow. Look at verse 11. Those who forsake the Lord, verses 13. Behold my servants. What will, our servants, what will the Lord's servants do? They'll eat. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the bread from heaven. What else will the servants do? They'll drink. You're going to never thirst ever again, he says. What else will they do? They'll rejoice. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. We can't help but rejoice. Folks, I don't care if there's COVID. I don't care if a different political party is in power. Of course, we want to be wise and good with all the circumstances of life, but we are rejoicing people because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. How could we not? We're people who rejoice. We'll sing for joy of heart. We should be a singing people. 
It even says in verse 15, you shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. And in Acts 11, verse 26, that came to pass and you call yourself one, a Christian. So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Now, here it comes. A, here it comes. You ready? This will just make your heart sing. For behold, I create. Look, look, this is in 700 BC given to Isaiah. For behold, I create. That means out of nothing, by the way. That means out of nothing, like he did at the beginning. I create a new heaven and a new earth. Write this down. Go read Revelation 21.1. Read it. And read 2 Peter 3.13. Read it. God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. When's he going to do that? After the thousand-year reign, the millennial kingdom. New heavens and new earth. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new, ner- and a new earth. What's the answer is that the Lord is going to redeem and remake and create, re- or create out of nothing the whole world. <laughs> He's going to do that. He's going to do that. And the former shall not... Oh, this is interesting scripture. For behold, I created new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. You're going to be so preoccupied with the glory of the Lord in the new heavens and the earth, all of this is going to be forgotten. I don't think you're going to forget relationships, but all of this, look, that's what it says. Don't get scared about that. Get happy. We're going to be so preoccupied with the Lord, the former things shall not be remembered, but be glad and, oh, there you go, but be glad and rejoice forever what I create. I'm going to create a Jerusalem as a rejoicing and our people a joy. Then, verse 20, we start to see characteristics of the millennial kingdom. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. Wait a minute. How could that be in the millennial kingdom? How could anyone die in the millennial kingdom? How could it be? Because we're going to be in our glorified resurrected bodies, which we're going to get at the rapture. How could it be that people die in the millennial kingdom? Well, remember, there's going to be tribulation saints. They're going to somehow survive, and there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They're sealed and come into the tribulation, and they won't be in their glorified, resurrected bodies. See that? So in the millennial kingdom, yes, but it'll be more like at the beginning of time. People will start to live older lives, and you could keep reading. They're going to build houses and inhabit it, and they're going to be vineyards and fruit. And it's going to be, there's going to be many descendants, verse 23. And it shall come to pass, verse 24, that before they call, I will answer. Oh, my. His knowledge is going to cover the entire earth, Isaiah 11:9 says. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Man. Don't you love, you ever met somebody? You ever met somebody that you know, that you know, that you know? They don't just know about the Lord. They know the Lord, and you can tell that they've spent time with the Lord, and they're really in tune to what the Lord's saying. You know what I mean? They're, they're not being showy about it. They're not being anything. Look, look, that's the way we're going to be in the millennial kingdom, in the, and then in the new heavens and the new earth. 
He's just going to be responding. We're going to get rid of all the distractions. So it'll just be focused on him. It's so beautiful. Verse 24 there. And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. The whole is going to be a whole biological and sociological and nature shift. And the world's going to be just totally different. Okay, now here we go, finally. The birth of a new nation. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Well, that's cool. Stephen the martyr knew this. You know how I know? Because he quoted it in Acts 7, verses 49 through 50. This was quoted by Stephen. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? Paul speaks of these verses when he's witnessing to the Athens people in Acts 17. He, he, you get what I'm getting at? These people knew the scriptures, man. Why am I telling you that? Well, it's going to matter. Because here, what's true worship? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, but on this one I will look, look at this, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at his word. Look at this. What's right worship? We're talking about it here. It's getting it right with your brother, your sister. You've done something to them. You've said something in the wrong way. Go make it right. But then look at this. Uh, uh, you know, you start saying to yourself, Lord, what should I do for you? Should I build you three tabernacles like Peter said? Should we put up a temple? What should we do, Lord? I want to please you in the best and greatest way. And he says, listen, just calm down at first. Just calm down. He probably doesn't say it like that. I say it like that. He just says, relax. Here's what I want. A broken and contrite spirit, and I see none of that in the Christian church right now. I I just don't see it. Somebody disagrees with you. You fly off the handle. We fly off the handle. We tell them our peace of mind. We give them a peace of our mind. Well, here he says right worship is one who is poor. They realize they're spiritually bankrupt, Sermon on the Mount. They realize they're poor in spirit. They realize they have nothing. They, they have a contrite heart, a tender heart, a, a, a humble heart, one that's not prideful with walls, and we tremble at his word. You know what we do with his word? We gloss over it. Right worship is trembling at his word. You catch that? That's why... Borrowing from a phrase from another pastor, we'll always be here a one-string guitar. Always. You come into the office for counseling, guess what we're going to do? Get your Bible out. Let us show you the Word because that's where real health is when we're trembling at His Word. Not just reading His Word, not just glossing over His Word. Not just, you know, you know, Sunday and Wednesday, I'll redo it for an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, that'd be so great. No, you're trembling. You're on the edge of your seat, trembling for his word. Give it to me, Lord. That's real worship. That's what it'll be like. Look at this. He who kills a bull is if he slays a man. I don't care if you do great religious stuff. 
If you do it without a contrite heart and trembling at my word, when you do the sacrifice of a bull, it'll be like you're killing a man because it doesn't matter. That's what he says right here. Don't go through the motions. If you're going through the motions, come, confess it to one another. Let's pray for you and get you back to where you're trembling. I'm trembling at his word. That's the way it'll be in his kingdom. In other words, that's right worship. Look down here then. So I will choose their delusion and bring their fears on them. For people who are just going through the motions, God sends delusions. (laughs) You don't believe me? Well, in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, he says just that. During the Great Tribulation period, described in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, it says that God is going to send a great delusion. In other words, it's easier to find the Lord, if you want to say it that way. He actually finds you now. You want to wait? Okay, wait, but it's going to be really difficult in the tribulation because he is going to send great delusions. And in fact, every time we reject God, I personally believe he does that himself. You want to argue about the theology? Well, that's fine. Go read 2 Thessalonians 2.11. In other words, humble your heart. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 5. He who trembles at his word, you brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified. In other words, right now, in 5 and 6, the Lord tells us, He's going to repay his enemies. Think, Paul was like this. He was one who heard the word, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, and you were trembling at the word, but other brothers within the fellowship or in the Christian church are saying, relax, why are you so, such a fanatic? Paul was saying that to the Christians. He actually killed them. They're going to be people that do that. But he's saying, let the Lord be glorified that we may see you. Your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Underline that. You don't need to repay. I don't need to repay. Okay, I can see that you are ready to be over. So here we're going to go fast. 7 through 11, the Lord comes with fire. He comes with fire. He even predicts that uh, this one, Israel, is going to be birthed in one day. And you can look back in 1948. That is exactly what happened. But when the Lord comes back in one day, in the ultimate fulfillment, all of these things are going to come true. So rejoice, verse 10. Bless Israel, uh, verse 11. Bless and rejoice with Israel. Know that there's a program for them in the future. Verse 12. And look, what will Jerusalem be like when uh, Messiah returns? Well, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the Gentiles will be like a flowing stream. And others will come and feed there. Won't that be beautiful? So I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Those who are faithful ones will be comforted there. The rain, now, now listen, I know you're, some of you are bored. I, I got it. But you got to hold on. Because... Watch what the Lord does here. But if you won't respond to God's love, that's verse 14. I'm just putting in my own words. Look what happens. Can you believe this? The gospel of the Old Testament ends this way. 
If you won't respond to God's love, it's your choice. It's your choice. You won't respond to God's love. Watch what happens here. Do you know that in 2 Corinthians 7, it says that godly sorrow also brings people to repentance? There's another scripture that says kindness of God leads you to repentance, but godly sorrow does too. So watch what the Isaiah does through the Holy Spirit. Watch this. There will be indignation in verse 14 towards his enemies, for behold, the Lord's going to come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with the flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord's going to judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord will be many or shall be many. Is that pretty plain? Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine flesh and the abomination and the mouse, can you believe this? This were, uh, these were prohibited in the Old Testament, shall be consumed together to the Lord. But how about this? When the people of God, catch this, we all need to hear this, man. When the people of God slink away to find meaning or pleasure in something other than what the Lord has prescribed, whew, that's a really dangerous place to be. And think about what you slink away to and what I slink away to. What do I sneak to? Well, for I know their works, verse 18, and their thoughts. It shall be that I'll gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. When's that going to happen? Well, one place you see it is around the throne in Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Isn't that great? The regathering of all, all nations, all tongues. How beautiful is that going to be? There's a message for today that needs to be proclaimed. I will set a sign among them, and those among them who escape I'll send to the nations, to Tarshish and Pool and Lud, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. There's even going to be evangelism in the millennial kingdom. Why? Because there's tribulation saints who procreate. And it's not love without choice. And there's going to be people who are going to do some witnessing probably, it looks like, in the millennial earth or kingdom. For those who survive the tribulation, then they shall bring all your brethren, verse 20, for an offering to the Lord out of all the nations, on horses, chariots, litters, on mules, camels, to my holy mountain, says the Lord, as the Lord, children of Israel bring an offering. And I will also make some of them for priests and Levites. Yes, because you're part of a royal priesthood, or, you know, a, a holy chosen nation, right? For as the new heavens and the new earth, verse 22, which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, one uh, new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me. When has that ever happened? Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. When I read that, I'm like, Lord, I don't see anybody doing it hardly. Well, it will happen. Now, the final thing. See, sometimes people don't just need happy, smiley. Some people who aren't listening need to be woken up, and the Lord gives it to us right here in verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against them. In other words, these people have chosen a life without God's plan. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all. 
I got to read you one thing. I know you want to go. I got it. But don't believe the lie that there's no hell, folks. Do not believe the lie. It's taught in tons of churches right now. Don't believe the lie that there's no hell. Currently, nobody goes to hell. You're like, what? No, because they go to Hades. But at the end of time, even Hades and others are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. That's hell. And Jesus compared it to Gehenna. And if you go with us to Jerusalem, you're going to see Gehenna. It's a valley right beside the city walls. It's where they used to throw the refuge, and it was nasty and dirty and gross. And in fact, some of the Israel kings, what did they start to do? Sacrifice in that valley. And it was so awful. Jesus in Mark 9, and then we'll quit right here. Look in Mark 9. Don't don't believe the lie that there's no hell. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get there. Go to verse 41. These are the words of Jesus. Uh, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he who by no means loses a roar. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better... uh, Uh, for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands, to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Isaiah 66, verse 24. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life lame rather than having two feet, to be cast into hell into the fire that shall be never quenched. Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, etc. You see it? Jesus talked about it. He's comparing the place of everlasting torment with that nasty valley called Gehenna right beside him. And the lake of fire will happen in the book of uh, uh, Revelation. We're going to see it. There is the doctrine of hell. It's the second death being thrown into the lake of fire. Compares it to Gehenna. Godly sorrow, folks, brings repentance. And I'm convinced the Lord put this here at the end of the gospel of Isaiah. You know what I mean. The fifth gospel, the Old Testament gospel. So that we'll know and we can warn people of what's coming. Let me just tell you one other thing. What happened to Isaiah? Extra biblical Jewish tradition says that he was sawn in two during the reign of Hezekiah, the king. Actually, in Hebrews 11.37, in the hall of faith, or the hall of faith, you know, it says that many people before had tough things happen to him, include one saw in half, or some saw in half. Most people believe Isaiah was that one. Well, let's pray. As you bow your head, Charles Swindoll said this, Why is Isaiah so important? The book of Isaiah provides us with the most comprehensive prophetic picture of Christ in the Old Testament. The full scope of his life, the announcement of his coming, his virgin birth, his proclamation of the good news, his sacrificial death, 
and his return to claim his own. Because of these and numerous other texts in Isaiah, the book stands as a testament of hope in the Lord, the one who saves his people from themselves. What a way to put it. He's saving us from ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this night. We just ask, Lord, that you would bless in a mighty way. Lord, do your work in our hearts. Have us learn and grow in the book of Isaiah, would you? And then take it to the streets in love, sharing your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. You did yeoman's work over the last month. You did yeoman's work. Take it and be awed by it. God bless you guys.